Hello, you are listening to the Fellow Cast, and this is episode number 72. I thought it was probably a good time to remind you of the episode number since we've been going for quite a while and we've done all of 72 episodes. And today's episode again is a bring your own Bible episode in which uh, Pastor Garth will be talking to us or continuing to talk to us through the book of Genesis. Today's uh, focus is chapter 23 and 24. Enjoy. Thank you, Valdu. I'm really excited about this story today. Um, We're going to speak about the death of Sarah in chapter 23, and then we're going into Isaac and Rebecca's story, how Isaac and Rebecca got married. And um, both of these stories are surprisingly interesting, really. Uh, You may know something about them, but I'm challenging you to listen again, to go and read again. Um, You're sure to find something new there today. All right, so we finished off in chapter 22, where Abraham was challenged to sacrifice his son Isaac. And then the Lord stopped him. So in our previous session, we spoke about that. And we spoke about how it pointed forward to the cross of Jesus Christ. That God was willing to sacrifice his son so that me and you, the Isaacs, can be taken off the altar. And Jesus died um, in our place as the perfect lamb of God. Now we're coming to chapter 23. Um, And the boy Isaac is beginning to grow up. And his mom at the age of 127 years, then passes away. Her only son that she ever conceived was Isaac. Um, And we will see that after this, Abram will marry again. He'll marry a woman called Keturah. And with her, he will have many more sons who will become all different kinds of nations around the area of Israel. And he will send them all on their way. Um, He will send them out so that this place that the Lord has promised to give to his descendants will be given to Isaac so that Isaac will have the space around him to eventually through his um, descendants inhabit the land of Israel. Well, Sarah passes away and now for the first time, Abraham faces this problem that he doesn't have a burial place for his family because up until now, Abraham never owned any land and, and that's something to dwell on. Just think about what that means. Uh, This man who is told he will get this entire territory and he will have a massive um, nation birthed from him. At this stage, he has one son, Isaac, and then another son, Ishmael, who is sent away. Um, And it's not the son that the Lord promised, the one he will have. That's the one that he has taken another wife, a slave woman, and had the son with. So he only has this one son with him, and he has no property, absolutely no property, but he still stays in this place that the Lord said he will give him. And now with the death of Sarah, he realizes he needs to buy a property so that he can have a legitimate place to bury his dead. Um, And so he goes to the Hittites, who stay here in Canaan. Um, It's in the area of Hebron. Uh, a mountainous area close to um, close to Jerusalem. And he goes to the Hittites and say, listen, there's this particular cave in a field, um, and it's the field of Machpelah. And I would like to buy this field so that I can bury my dead. These people have great respect for Abram, and out of that respect they say, listen, here's our land. Uh, bury your dead wherever you want to. 
So he has great favors with these neighbors of his. But he insists. He says, no, this particular field, um, uh, I want to buy that. So they say, well, it belongs to a guy called Ephron. And Ephron the Hittite then comes out and he says exactly the same to Abraham. He says, listen, please just take it. Just take the cave. But Abraham insists. And it's this whole transaction where he calls the elders of the, the city um, of the Hittites, he calls them out and he says, come sit here as witnesses that today I buy this field from Ephron. And he gets a written deed that this field, and not just the field, uh, the cave that is in it and the trees that are in it, everything within the perimeter of the field belongs to Abraham. And then he, he buries Sarah there. Um, later, Abraham himself will be buried there as well. Um, Isaac will be buried there. Jacob uh, will be buried there, um, and Joseph also. Joseph will then have this faith while they're in Egypt to say to the Israelites, when I pass away, you have to embalm my body, mummify my body. And then when you leave this place, as the Lord is promising you will, then you must take my body with. So eventually, 400 years later with the Exodus, they take Joseph's body and also come and bury it here in this cave of Machpelah. Now the cave has actually um, in our day also been an interesting thing. Because um, there's this, um, this constant battle about who does uh, the land of Canaan belong to in modern day. Uh, whose is it? Is it the, the Jews, the Israelites? Or is it the guys of Lebanon? Or is it who, who does it belong to? Um, and somewhere along the line, the, the cave, Machpelah, comes up and says, well, but Abraham bought this particular field. Uh, there was a deed written, and there's a record of it in the Bible. Um, so it is interesting even up until today. But let's move then on to chapter 24. With um, Isaac's mom having passed away, his dad then realizes, well, Isaac is getting to the age where he needs to marry. So he calls the head servant over all his servants and he says to him, listen, uh, I want you to go and get a wife for my son Isaac, not from any of the Canaanites. He must not marry any of the Canaanites here in this territory. He must marry somebody who serves the same God is what it comes down to. Um, therefore, he commissions the servant and he says, go, you go, don't take my son with, you go and go and find him a wife from my family. Now, Abraham's family stays up in the area of Assyria. So that's a long travel. It's a, it's a dangerous, long journey to take. But he tells the servant of him, you will go all the way up there. And um, then he promises him, the angel of the Lord will go ahead of you and will lead you to the right girl. What an incredible statement of faith. And he says, if that girl doesn't want to come with you, then, well, you are free of my charge. But then he adds this. He says, but only do not take my son away from this place, from this place where we stay now. So even here, uh, coming close to death, Abraham has this incredible faith in God. He knows that Isaac must stay here because the Lord will give Isaac this land that he has promised him, and his descendants will take possession of it. Incredible statement of faith. So 
eventually then, after making this vow, and it's this interesting um, ritual that they go through, he says to him, put your hand on my thigh. Um, it's like an intimate sign and say, then promise me you will go and um, take, uh, take the camels and go and come back with a wife for my son. So off goes the servant and he takes 10 camels loaded with the best of the produce that, um, and gifts that Abram has to offer. And remember, Abram is an incredibly wealthy man at this stage. Um, and he takes all these gifts on these 10 camels and he moves up. Uh, it must have been a long journey because it's all the way up the north through what would be later Galilee and then through Syria and, and then into Assyria. And he comes to the town of Nahor. Now, Nahor is Abram's brother. And here in this town, he then expects to find family and expects to find a wife that would um, also worship God and serve God for Isaac. He arrives then at the well just outside of the city of Nahor, um, and it's, uh, the sun is busy going down. It's in the late afternoon, and that is the time that the ladies will come out to the, uh, to the well um, to come and draw water. And um, while he's at the well, he prays and he asks God, he says, God, please, I'm going to ask you for a sign because... Obviously, the man doesn't know <laughs> what a difficult task to choose a wife for somebody else. And he asks the Lord, please, let it be that the girl that comes out here that I should ask, will you draw some water for me? If she's willing to draw water for me out of the well and also then adds and says, all right, but wait and I will draw water for your camels too. Let that be the right girl for Isaac. Now, it's an interesting thing to ask. But what would it signify if a lady is willing to do that? Um, to, in the first place, draw water for an absolute stranger, somebody she's never met before. And then to be willing to say, but wait, I see you've got 10 camels here. Let me draw water for them as well. It signifies a lot of the girl's character. He's really is wise in asking that. Um, uh, I've actually checked it up because the other day my, my son, I shared the story at home with them. And um, then he pipes up and he says, a camel drinks 125 liters of water. So I quickly Googled it beforehand, Waldo. And I saw that, well, he's right in the direction of a lot. But in, on Google, it says the typical camel drinks 200 liters of water in three minutes and apparently they think it's from there that the um that the fable comes from that the hump of the camel stores all that water because all of this water needs to go somewhere right um but that's a lot of water consider then 10 camels drinking 200 liters of water in three minutes this girl uh, will be willing to do a heck of a lot of work for an absolute stranger so while he's still speaking to the Lord about this, out comes Rebecca, and he asks her. He's the first girl that he then encounters, and he says, listen, uh, will you be willing to draw me some water from the well so that I can drink? And what does she reply? Exactly in the words that he said to the Lord. He, she says, sure, I will, but wait here, and I will draw water for your camels as well. And instantly, the servant falls down on his knees and he worships the Lord. He knows the Lord has answered his prayer in that very minute. Um, 
he worships the Lord. And once he's done that, he stands up and he takes um, a, a ring out, gifts out for this girl. And wait, I'm getting ahead of myself. First, he asks her, um, listen, whose daughter are you? And she says, well, um, um, my dad is Bethuel and his dad is Nahor. And then he takes out these gifts because he realized, wait, not only did the Lord lead me to the girl with the right character, but this is the girl from the bloodline that Abraham asked. This is Abraham's distant family. Um, so she is absolutely the right one for Isaac. And at that, he takes out gifts and he puts a gold bracelet on her and a golden ring in her nose. Um, and then she goes off to the family and says, listen, I met this guy on the well. And obviously, um, it says when Lot, her brother, saw the bracelet and saw the ring in her nose and heard the story that she told, he runs off to the well uh, to go and meet this guy. And he comes to the well and he, and he says to him, you blessed of the Lord. Come, I've prepared place for you at my house. Um, there's fodder for the camels. Um, come and eat a meal with us. And invites them in. Now, I don't know if I read something between the lines here because we later know something about Lot being something of a schemer, um, a guy that wants to make himself wealthy at the expense of others. He's with the story of Jacob. But there's something in that maybe that the scripture says when Lot saw the bracelet and the golden ring in the nose, he ran to meet the guy. And he invited him in with these camels that's got all these gifts on. I don't know if it's too much to read in there, but later we will see that Lot has that kind of greed um, uh, to make himself wealthy at the expense of others. Anyway, the servant then goes to the house and they prepare a meal. And as they sit down for the meal, um, the servant says, no, I will not eat anything until I've settled this matter. And then he says again, listen, this is what happened at the well. Exactly the story that um, Rebecca told their, her brother and her dad and the rest of the family. He then retells the entire story as, as a sign that, listen, this is from the Lord. The Lord brought me into this meeting with your daughter. Um, and I'm on a quest to come and get a wife, and I believe she's the one. So he then asks, will she be willing, willing to come? And um, marry Isaac, my master's son. They ask her about that and she's willing. And after they had the meal, um, they stand up the next day and um, the servant says, let me be on my way now. I've come to do what I'm here to do. I've come to get the wife, so give it to me and let's be on the way. To which the family obviously says, but wait, that's a bit quick. Uh, Stay a few days, you know, let her first greet her friends and everybody, um, and then you can take her. It's a bit rushed. Uh, but he says, no, wait, please don't detain me. The Lord has given me what I've come for. Let me take her now. And they call her in, and she says, no, she's willing to go. So consider the character of Rebecca in the story. She's hospitable. She's hardworking. She's generous. Um, she's really friendly, uh, especially to an absolute stranger. And then at this part of the story, she's a girl of great faith. She's going to marry somebody that she's never laid eyes on before. In a country far away from home, uh, she's going with a guy 
uh, on the journey that she's never met before, only the previous day, um, but with this absolute faith that this is from the Lord. The Lord has come here um, to get me for a man that I will marry that I've never met before. This is a girl of great faith um, that we, we meet here. So she's then on this journey with him. Don't know how long it would have taken, but consider again, it's across a country. It's pass, uh, passing over Syria um, all the way down, down to the middle of Israel at that stage um, with camels. It's a hard journey. And then as they arrive here, there's this precious, really romantic, beautiful scene uh, where you can picture Rebecca's on the camel and then she sees a man walking in the field and maybe sees that the servant recognizes the guy because she then asks the servant, listen, who is this man walking in the field towards us? And he says, this is Isaac, my master's son. And immediately she realizes, well, this is the one I've come to marry. She takes a veil and puts it over her face, climbs off the camel, walks in the field towards Isaac. And when she comes to him, she bows down on the ground on her knees in front of him. And then the story is retold of how she met the servant and how the Lord intervened in all of it. And it says, And Isaac took her into his mother's tent, married her, and he was comfort from the grief of the death of his mom. It really is just such a, Beautiful, beautiful moment, a conclusion to the story. Now, I want to draw one thing out of it because I've heard before over the years that this story is sort of used to say that, well, the Lord will choose my wife. Consider that this is the only time ever in the scriptures, uh, well, except maybe for Adam and Eve, isn't it? There wasn't another wife to choose. Um, but this is the only account ever that the Lord actually intervenes to choose a wife for a man. And then consider the fact that Isaac at that very moment where this girl was there in front of him, he could have said, no, I do not, I do not want to marry her. He still chose to love her and to continue to love her um, all throughout their life. Right? Um, so, we mustn't misuse this story because the fact of the matter is um, a husband uh, and a wife, a man and a woman chooses to marry and they choose to love one another. They choose to be faithful to one another. Um, so we never have this excuse. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard it used like this, but saying, well, well, it's the wrong one. You know, it's not the one that the Lord chose for me. No, we choose and we make promises in marriage um, to, to be faithful to one another. Um, but it really does show us that I can ask the Lord. I can ask the Lord for wisdom and insight. I can ask the Lord to lead me uh, like I did with my wife. And the Lord led me to her, led me to understand that this is a good choice. But I made the choice still. I made the choice to, to ask Lizette to marry me. She made the choice to say yes. Um, so we mustn't misconstrue the story in that way. Well, in our next session, we're going to move on then um, to, the, to the birth of Isaac's two sons, um, Jacob and Esau. And 
if you read ahead of us, I want you to look out for something because we're going to see in that story and in the chapter that follows, chapter 26, with Isaac um, giving up his wife for Abimelech, um, we're going to see suddenly now uh, generational curses, what we'll call generational curses. The sin of the previous generation is now perpetuated in this generation and it becomes greater. It escalates in the family. Um, where the sin of jealousy brought hurt in the previous story with Hagar and with Sarah, suddenly now with Jacob and Esau, it's going to escalate. It's going to tear the family apart. It's going to really cause incredible hurt. And then the the sin of fear that Abraham had with giving up his wife, um, lying about who she is as his sister instead of his wife, to Pharaoh and to Abimelech, suddenly now in chapter 26, it comes in again. It comes in again. This um, son of Abraham makes exactly the same mistake. Um, And it's this lesson that we have to learn about generational curses. If I don't deal with my sin in my lifetime, uh, my family, my descendants are going to have to deal with that sin because I've opened a door in my family for sin to come and bring destruction. Um, Read ahead of us into those two chapters. Think about it. And when we speak about it, um, let's learn together and learn to ask forgiveness and clean out whatever we have carried along with us so that our descendants don't have to deal with it again. Thank you again, Valdi, for a, just a, a lovely opportunity to share the stories of the Bible and to learn together with you. Thank you, Garth. Really appreciate your time and the effort that you put in. That was episode number 72, talking into Genesis 23 and 24. We hope that you've enjoyed that. Keep your eyes out, your ears out, your peeled for the next uh, Bring Your Own Bible episode coming your way very soon.